to stand while we're singing. I'll read the scripture this morning. If you want to stand, you can. I don't want to make anybody stand up who doesn't want to stand or can't stand. We're going to look at two passages of scripture this morning. One is in Psalm 32, and the other is in Romans chapter 4. Psalm chapter 32, and Romans chapter 4. I want to again welcome all of you who are watching by the internet. I want to let you know how much we appreciate you. Many of you write. Many of you send gifts to support the work here of the ministry. We appreciate that so very much. And I want to uh, extend a welcome again to those of you visiting with us here in the flesh this morning. Today we're going to look at two passages of Scripture, Psalm 32 and Romans chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles open, Psalm 32 says, beginning in verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Now, if you look in the New Testament, you might put a, uh, your ribbon or whatever you might have, a piece of paper in Psalm 32. We'll come back to it later. And we'll look at Romans chapter 4, the New Testament book of Romans chapter now, don't be ashamed to look in the uh, front of your Bible and to help you find what page these books are on. Uh, we are in Romans chapter 4, and my Bible is page 1659, but you'll have a different Bible than I would have, most of you will. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Now, I often say that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The New Testament often sheds light on passages in the Old Testament, and it always sheds light in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it shows us how it points to Him. So in Romans chapter 4, and in verse 3, what does the Scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. To him that works, the reward is not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that does not work, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now, where does the writer of these words get this idea? Well, he gets it from Psalm 32. Notice verse 6, even as David describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin." May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and let God's people say praise the Lord. 
And you may be seated. Now our Lord Jesus Christ told us, do not judge after appearance, but judge righteous judgment. He said this because we are prone to judge things as they appear rather than as they really are. We are prone to do this because, in fact, this is how we see things. We see things as they appear to be and not as they really are. However, through prayer and through knowledge of God's Word, we can learn better to judge things. We can learn better judgment. The world judges things as they appear, and as a result of that, they're usually disappointed. And unless we seek the wisdom and the leadership of the Lord, we too will judge after appearance only. For example, we look at a person who's a king or a queen or a governor or a president, and we say, that's a blessed person. That person has power. They have authority. They have dominion. And those types of people are usually sought out by the world, and they're usually applauded by the world. But in reality, a peasant might be happier. Position and power is usually a curse rather than a blessing. I just saw a senator on television this past week, a woman who said that her life has been miserable since she had been elected to office. Again, we may not say, okay, positions and power, that's not what attracts me, wealth. Many people judge wealthy people to be blessed. But our Lord said, do not lay up treasures upon the earth where the moth and the rust corrupts and where thieves break through and steal. Again, we'll read, we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we cannot take anything out. Having food and clothing, let us learn to be content. Those who strive to be rich will fall into many temptations and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in perdition and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Again, some people look at people who are simply popular. Those who've been blessed with power, that's one thing. Those who've been blessed with wealth, that's another. Those who seem to have the attention of the world, they say that's really the great blessing. That's the great blessing. We are apt to pronounce everybody happy but ourselves, but we're only seeing through the mask of our own eyes. We don't see the real life of these people. Despite the fact that we look at Hollywood and we see all of these people time and time again in every generation who wind up in tears and sometimes in poverty and dejected and wind up on drugs and wind up as alcoholics, and we, if we would just still look at that, we can see that's not the great blessing. Who is the individual who is truly blessed? Who is the individual who can truly be happy? Who is the person who can face life and death and eternity with a calm assurance of tranquility and peace? Well, we just read it. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is he whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man or the woman or the boy or the girl unto whom God will not charge sin. 
God has made us, and he alone knows what will make us happy and blessed. And he's made us in such a way that we'll never be happy. We'll never really be happy and have a sense of being blessed until we know him. We must know him. Money will not make you happy. Position, power, and prestige will not make you happy. Even good health will not make you happy because at last your good health will fail. But the person whose transgression is forgiven, the person whose sin is covered from the all-seeing eye of the holy God, that person who has no sins to answer for, that person is the blessed person. Now, I want to bring three things to your attention this morning, God willing, time allowing. Three things. First, I want to tell you something about this great blessing. Secondly, I want to tell you something about the nature of this blessing. And thirdly, I want to describe for you the recipient of this blessing. Now, what about this blessing? I'm saying the greatest blessing is the blessing described by David in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. And in Romans 4, verses 3 through 8, that's the greatest blessing you can have. What about this blessing? Number one, as Lynn has already said, it cannot be purchased. No one can purchase the pardon of sin. As the prophet says, Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, neither the cattle upon a thousand hills offered for sacrifice. Israel offered thousands and thousands of rams and lambs and bullocks and bulls and heifers for the pardon of sin, and yet their sin remained. All the silver and all the gold are mine, says the Lord. All the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills too belong to me. If the sacrifice of animals could purchase this great blessing, Israel would have had it. The truth is, no amount of thought, no amount of work, no amount of time, no matter of talent, no, amount, no amount of money can purchase this great blessing. It can't be purchased. Number two, it can't be procured. Let me ask you a question. How can I be pardoned? How can I be forgiven? I put that question to you. How can you be forgiven? If you were to ask the person on the street, what kind of answer would they give? One thing about it, we can deny God all we want, but the greatest witness, the greatest testimony that there's a God who made us is that we all from time to time have a sense of guilt. Now, how did guilt come through the evolutionary process? You might explain how some of the Neanderthal men grew up and became baboons, and now they teach in our universities. But you can't explain things like guilt. How can you explain guilt? Because we know inside we have a thing called a conscience. And we know that that conscience bears witness to us that there is a God who made us. There's a God who made these galaxies. There's a God who made this earth. There's a God who made all of these things, and we don't know him. And we're worried about what will happen to us as we grow older and as we die. Otherwise, we would have no guilt. How can I be forgiven? How can I be pardoned? Suppose you ask yourself that question, what would your answer be? 
Well, here are some possible answers. Well, Brother Sasser, this is a new year, and I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to change. I'm going to resolve to amend my ways. I'm not going to be what I was in 2022 and in the previous years. But when you turn to Scripture, you will find that no person can be accepted of God by anything that he does. Having sinned against the Lord, the Lord must execute some kind of judgment against our sin. Would you think it would be justice if a person goes out here and murders five people and the judge says, well, I believe in love and I believe God is a God of love and so therefore I'm just going to pardon you. Would that be justice? Of course not. And the God of the Bible, this sense of justice, this is another evidence of God. Not only is our feeling guilty, but the sense of justice, that something boils up in you when you see people who do things that they should be punished for and they get away with it scot-free. How would you like to own a store and you have 15 or 20 people just run into your store like you've been seeing on television and they just start taking things off the shelf? You had to buy all of that. You had to pay for all of that. But they just go in there and help themselves stuff it in bags and leave. Nobody does anything about it. Is that justice? No, something boils up in you. Why? Because you have a sense of justice within you. And that sense of justice came from the fact that you are made in the image of God. And God is a God of justice. He's a God of love. But love cannot be shown until justice is satisfied. So what is the standard by which the Almighty God will use to measure the guilty soul by? It will be His holy law. And it will be His holy Son. Suppose you and I, at this very moment, could turn from sin and never sin again. The rest of our lives. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That would be amazingly wonderful. Indeed, it would be. But we still couldn't receive this greatest blessing. Why not? Because our past would still have to be accounted for. If we turn over a new leaf, that's good. But what about those old leaves? What about the past? My friends, to reform in the future is good, but it does nothing to remove the past. I want each of us to settle it once and for all this morning that to make amends will not enable us to be reconciled to God. People say, well, I'll weep and I'll humble myself before the Lord and I'll tell him that I'm sorry for my sins. Well, my friends, this is why the hymn writer wrote, Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no respite know? These for sin could not atone. You can cry and cry and cry. The people who die under the judgment of God, the scripture says, there will be weeping and there will be moaning and there will be gnashing of teeth over the judgment that lies upon them. There is no atonement in tears of repentance. What is there in tears of repentance that could make you and me deserve forgiveness? If there was something in tears of repentance that merited the greatest blessing, salvation would not be by mercy. Many will weep and cry. Judas cried. You know, the Bible says Judas wept and started wept, weeping and crying after he realized that he had betrayed innocent blood. And he was so sorry about what he had done. And what did he do? He went out and hanged himself. 
He hated himself so much that he put an end to himself. But his own death would not atone for his sins. We have to understand that forgiveness cannot be procured by any act by which we or any other creature does. If I went up into heaven and I said to the angelic host, is there any of you angels that could help me with my problem of sin? Could you offer some type of atonement to God on my behalf that would purchase, that would secure, that would gain, that would acquire my forgiveness with the Almighty? They would all say, no, we can't do it. We can't do it. If you ask the saints in heaven, the spirits of just men made perfect, can any of you prevail with God that I might be forgiven of my sins? They would say it's not possible that we can cover your sins. Where can I find forgiveness? I must have it if I'm going to be a blessed man in life and in death. Men can't help me. Angels can't help me. I can't help myself. Well, looking up to glory, I see there sitting on the throne a God and yet a man, a man who was slain in my place under the wrath of an angry God, and he is smiling There is forgiveness. There is pardon. There is mercy and grace. There is reconciliation. But it was purchased at an awful price. His hands were pierced. His side was torn. His soul was put through hell by God himself. I wish we would listen to the scripture. Let me read it to you from Galatians 2. Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, doing good, being sincere, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So too we have put our faith in Christ that by being justified by faith in Christ, not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. By doing the best you can, you can't be justified. Again, in Titus chapter 3, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we are made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Think with me. Would God have sent his own son to save us if we could save ourselves? If we could procure it ourselves by tears of repentance or gain it by making amends, if there were any remote possibility that any person could be saved by any other means, Christ would have died in vain. We have to understand that forgiveness of sin only comes through Christ. And since he purchased it, he alone can give it. Since he procured it, he alone can bless another with it. And I'll tell you this, my friends, it is the greatest blessing I know of that I'm cleansed from sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. Every week we sing here when we close our service, under the blood of Jesus, saved from the shepherd's fold, under the blood of Jesus, I'm saved while the ages roll. I'm safe though the worlds may crumble. I'm safe though the stars grow dim. Under the blood of Jesus, I am secure in him. What else can I tell you about this blessing? Number one, you're like this. I like it. 
I want each of you to know that this great blessing in Jesus Christ, through faith in him, because of his life, through, through him keeping the law on our behalf by his death, is instantaneous. The very moment I am given faith to believe on him as my justifier, I am justified. He makes me clean in an instant. There's no progressive thing insofar as my blessing is concerned. You remember the story? Maybe you don't, so I'll relate it to you. You can read it in your Bibles in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. It's a little story told by the Lord Jesus about two men that went up to the temple to pray. One was called a publican, and one was called a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a very righteous man at least outwardly. He was looked upon by other people. They used to say among the Jews, if anyone can go to heaven, if there's only one person can go to heaven, it'd probably be a Pharisee. They had great respect for the Pharisee. The publican, those were the money collectors. Man, people hated them. Hated the money collectors. How much do you owe on taxes? Well, you owe $3, but you really didn't owe but a dollar. And he'd put two in his pocket and give one to the Roman government. The publicans collected taxes often for the Roman government. Well, these two people went down to the temple to pray. This is a story told by Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. One was a publican, one was a Pharisee. They went down to pray. And Jesus said that the Pharisee, he was standing up at the front. And the publican, he stayed way back down the back. And it says that the Pharisee prayed like this. These are Jesus' words. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. They are extortioners. They are unjust. They are adulterers. And then he looked out of the corner of his eye and said, even as this publican. He saw that publican back there in the back. (laughs) He said, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes. I give 10% of all that I possess. Then Jesus said this, the publican who was standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. He was so ashamed of himself. He wouldn't even look up, but it said he smote on his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Now listen to what Jesus said, and I'm reading this. Verse 14 of Luke chapter 18, I tell you, said Jesus, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Did you get it? Jesus said, I say, not the preacher, not the priest, not the pope, not the president, I say, this man went down to his house justified. What does that mean? That means just as if I had never sinned. It means he went down to sins clean before God. It means that God has nothing against him. How did he go up to the temple to pray? He went up heavy-hearted, but he left singing. He went up to the temple slowly with his head and hands hanging down, but he left dancing. He went up full of pain and guilt over his sins against God, but he left feeling clean and pure. He went up to the temple condemned, but he left forgiven, justified. And it was instantaneous. I tell you, this man went down justified, he said. 
Second, I want you to know that this greatest blessing that I'm trying to tell you about this morning is not only instantaneous, it is irreversible. Once pardoned, I can never be unpardoned. Once made alive in Christ, I can never be left to die in my sins because I don't have any sins to die in. Jesus took them all away. Did you hear what Jesus said to me? They're all taken away. Your sins are pardoned and you're free. They're all taken away. Once I'm received by God through faith, In the Lord Jesus, I can never, 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 never be condemned. Can I believe that God would forgive me and then condemn me? Now listen to this now. Can I believe that my price, that my debt that I owe to God has been paid by another, but then God will require it again from me? There is therefore, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. If Christ is my substitute, then my sins were charged to him. He died under the wrath of God because he took them personally upon himself. Will the Lord punish me when I have no sins to be punished? Listen to Paul's challenge in the, God, in the book of Romans 8, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. He's at the right hand of God. He's making intercession for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. I'm persuaded, says Paul. That neither death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, or things to come, height, depth, or any other creature can separate me from the love of God when she's in Christ Jesus. Nothing in heaven will condemn me. Nothing in earth can condemn me. And nothing in hell shall be allowed to condemn me. Nothing in my past Nothing in my present, nothing in my future is able to condemn me. Jesus has promised him that comes to me, I will never cast out. John chapter 6, verse 37. And again in John chapter 10, 28, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. I mean, if he gives you life and you can lose it, that's not eternal life, that's temporary life. This is a great blessing, my friends, I'm talking to you about. It can't be purchased. It can't be procured. It's in Christ alone. It's received by faith. It's instantaneous, and it's irreversible. Praise the Lord. Yeah. (laughs) All right, let me talk to you about the nature of this blessing. That's a few things about this greatest blessing. Let me talk to you about the nature of the blessing. Such is the nature of things that we understand many things by the opposite. For example, if I talk to you about righteousness, what's the opposite of righteousness? It's unrighteousness. (laughs) You know what? You wouldn't have an appreciation for summer if you didn't hate the winter so much. He gives us the winter to make us appreciate the summer. 
He recovers us often from sicknesses and illnesses that we might appreciate our health. How could we imagine what is meant by beauty if we didn't know what ugly meant? I'm sure you've heard this story about Churchill. Remember Churchill? He was the prime minister of England during World War II. Mr. Churchill drank a lot. Brilliant man, but he drank a lot. And he was the one that said he got on a he got on an elevator, and there was a woman of society there, an aristocrat, and she said, My dear sir, you are drunk. And Churchill said, And you are ugly. He said, but tomorrow I'll be sober. <laughs> the implication is you'll still be ugly. Let me tell you something. You can't understand what sobriety is if you don't know what drunkenness is. You can't understand beauty if you don't know what ugly is. The way to understand the nature of this blessing is to consider the curse, the nature of the curse. It's been said that the history of redemption can best be understood when one considers two basic questions. I'm going to talk to you about redemption now. Two basic questions. Number one, what happened in the garden? In the garden of Eden, when man sinned, when man fell, what happened? Number two, what happened at the cross? If you understand the answer to those two questions... You'll understand all you need to understand about redemption. Listen to this from Romans 5. As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Then it says this in verse 18. By the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Can we put Psalm 32 back up there on the board, or you can turn to it in your Bible? What happened in the garden when the first man sinned? What happened in the garden when Adam, our father, sinned? What happened? Psalm 32 tells us. There are four words that he gives us here in Psalm 32 describes the, the parameters of sin. And they are transgression, sin, iniquity, and guile. Blessed is he, verse 1, Psalm 32, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, verse 2, blessed is the man under whom the Lord imputes not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Transgression, sin, iniquity, and guile. This is what happened in the Garden of Eden. By transgression is meant willful, deliberate rebellion and transgression against a holy and gracious God. What reason was there for Adam to hate God? What reason was there for Adam to rebel against God? There was no reason. There's no reason today. <laughs> you know why men are rebels against God? You know why men don't want to hear about God? Because they want to be God. <laughs> I want to be in control of me and mine and everything else that I want to be in control of. I don't want you or you or you or God telling me what I can do and what I can't do. I want to be God. 
That's what's meant here by this word transgression. We want to push God off the throne and sit there ourselves. I'll be my own God. The essential issue in the matter of sin is who shall be Lord, me or God? Number two, the second word mentioned in our text is the word sin. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now this word here, the translated sin, simply means, bottom line, imperfection. When Adam rebelled against God, he inherited the attribute, and so did all of his children, the attribute of imperfection. Everything we do is imperfect. Sin is falling short of God's standard of perfection. In other words, if you are a sincere and dedicated person, and you are devoted to your family, and you are a model citizen of the world, you still fall short of perfection. Therefore, a perfect, a perfect God cannot and will not receive you in an imperfect state. In the fall, Adam fell from perfection, and now it's impossible for any of his children to please God by anything we become or by anything we do. Okay, here's the third word. The third word is iniquity. Verse 2, blessed is the man unto whom God and whom the Lord imputes not iniquity. Now, this word translated iniquity here is simply the word for moral perversion or lawlessness. Our Lord Jesus Christ said the last days before his coming would be characterized by a prevailing spirit of lawlessness and moral perversion. He said, as it was in the days of Lot, it will be in the days preceding his second coming. What characterized the days of Lot? Homosexuality, apostasy, disobedience, and incest. The very term sodomy and sodomite refer to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah whose citizens were homosexuals. But listen now. Let's don't be too hard. All the sin was not in Sodom and Gomorrah. Sin, nor in its citizens, sin was also in Lot, who was delivered, and his family. Remember, it was Lot's wife who turned to a pillow of salt because she looked back. She disobeyed the word of the Lord. Do you remember that it was Lot's two daughters who gave their father strong wine to drink so that they might use the excuse of preserving his bloodline, and they became pregnant by their own father. We call that incest. These are the things which marked Lot's generation, and these are the things which mark our generation today. Child abuse, all this perversion, this is all found in this word iniquity. When Adam sinned, he fell into iniquity. And then fourthly, the fourth word is guile, verse 2. And in whose spirit there is no guile. That word means deceitfulness. Deceitfulness. Now listen to me. I'm going to skip a lot of things I could say. And I'm going to tell you this. You are as honest as you're ever going to be when you go to God and you say, I'm a sinner. That's as honest as you're ever going to get. 
I'm a sinner. Ralph Barnard used to say, honest men don't go to hell. When you're without guile, it doesn't mean that you're going to live this world and you won't ever have any guile or deceitfulness in your spirit. We know that's a lie. But it does mean that you're going to have no guile when it comes to you and God. You're going to go to him and say, Lord, if you dealt with me after what I deserve, I'd be in hell today. I'm thankful for your mercy, and I'm thankful you sent your son, and I'm casting myself on him for all of my salvation. That's the word guile. The heart, you say, well, why, why would we have this deceitful problem? Well, the heart is deceitful. Je- Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 <clears throat> says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The New International Version translates it this way. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The human heart is so depraved that it's beyond cure. It's incurably wicked. Psychiatrists and psychologists have dealt with human beings from every conceivable angle. They have tried everything from drug therapy to shock treatment, but taken as a whole, they've made very little, very little progress. Now we've got a whole world of people who are on drugs, given them to cure them from their prior condition. And now they're on drugs. Did you know that in the profession of psychiatry and psychology, that's the highest rate of suicide? Did you know that psychiatrists and psychologists kill themselves at a rate higher than practically any other professional uh, job or office in society. My friends, are we making any progress today with the heart of man? Is the government making any progress? I don't think so. Look around you. (laughs) There's corruption everywhere. Witness the Bitcoin scheme. Witness the shady deals that built the American public out of millions of dollars. Old J.P. Barnum, he said there's a sucker born every minute. Witness the pornography and the success of modern-day so-called prophets who build personal empires off of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember Jim Jones? Some of you young people don't remember him. He was a fellow that led hundreds of hundreds of unsuspecting souls to follow him to Guyana. And then when he got them down there, he had them commit mass suicide. Think about the thousands, the hundreds of thousands of little children who are being murdered and raped and abused by the very ones that they trust to protect them from the evils of this wicked world, often their parents. I could go on and on and on. Let's hear what the Bible has to say about it. It says, as we go along in history, evil men and deceivers will be worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. 2 Timothy 3.13. He goes on to say this. Listen to this. I know this, that in the last days perilous times shall come. People will be lovers of themselves, Lovers of money, boastful, 
proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And the whole time they're religious, they have a form of godliness. But they deny its power in their lives. Ladies and gentlemen, the human heart, since the fall of man into sin, has been deceitful. And if it's possible, it's getting worse. (laughs) That's a terrible picture, isn't it? Now let's consider the nature of the blessing. What happens to the transgressions of every individual who has this great blessing spoken of by David in Psalm 32 and Paul in Romans 4? According to the text here in Psalm 32, it says the transgression, verse 1, is what? It says it's forgiven. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. And you know what? That word translated forgiven, you know what it means? It means to be picked up and carried away. <laughs> God picks up the tab and then he carries it away. Where does he carry our transgression? He carries them to the sea of forgetfulness, which is a sea of blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. As Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. Those transgressions that are forgiven, according to Psalm 32, 1. And because Christ paid for our transgressions, God Almighty can pick them up and carry them away, all of them, every last one of them, and never remember them again against us. What happens to our sins? He said, blessed is he who's transgressed and forgiven, whose sin, <clears throat> it says, sin is covered. He said, our sins are covered. You know what the word means? I like to look up these words. I want to make sure I know what they mean. It means obliterated, destroyed, demolished, decimated, eradicated, liquidated, annihilated, expunged, wiped out. Get the idea what covered means. What does God use to cover our sins? You got it. The blood of Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Do you know when Noah built the ark, God said, now you take that ark, keep it from singing, sinking, and you cover it outside, what the old King James translates it, pitch. You know that word that's translated pitch is the very same word translated atonement? <laughs> that ark was covered with atonement. That's why it didn't sink. That's why it saved Noah and his three sons and their three wives, because there was an atonement on that ark. Jesus Christ is our atonement, Romans chapter 5. The word atonement, the English word, I have to tell you this, I'm trying to hurry so I can finish. (laughs) The word atonement, think about it, is A-T, at, then it's O-N-E, one, and then it's M-E-N-T, a suffix, at-one-ment. The word atonement means you take two parties that are separated and you bring them together. You reconcile it. There's nothing between them. That's what Jesus is our, as our atonement. He reconciles us. 
So that the war between us and God Almighty, his Father, is over. The war is over, and the Lord has nothing against us. Thirdly, what happens to our iniquities? It says, blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity. The Lord doesn't count your iniquity to hold it against you. How can it be? Jesus Christ picked up the tab. They were all charged to his account. How did he pay for them? You're right again. He paid for them with his own blood. Once he shed on the tree. Listen again to Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 53. He was wounded for our transgression. Not for his transgression. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised because of our iniquities. The chastisement, the whipping, the beating necessary for us to have peace was upon him. And with his stripes, with his beatings, with his punishment, we are healed. And according to Psalm 32, the blessed person is that person from whom the Lord does not collect or demand a payment. Believe me, when we stand before God, if he says, okay, open the books here, Bill Sasser owes this much. If he says that, I'm gone. If I owe anything, I'm done for. If my debt is not paid in full, By the blood of Christ, I'm in trouble. And I ask you again, would God demand payment from me if Mr. Justice says Jesus paid me up in full? If justice has been satisfied in the Lord Jesus, why would justice be demanded from me? Lastly, what happens to our guile? Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity and whose spirit... There is no guile. That is, blessed is the person who can put away his hypocrisy, put away all this mess that we pretend like we are somebody, put away all this mess that we do with each other when nobody really knows who we are, and we come clean with God. (laughs) And we're without guile, and we say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of your mercy. I need you. I need your son. When we come to Christ... As sinners, as I said earlier, we are as honest as we will ever be. If Christ has picked it up and carried away my transgressions, if he has covered all of my sins, if he has picked up my tab and charged me with his own righteousness, I have no reason not to be honest and sincere before the Lord. God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. In other words, Jesus was charged with our sins and we were charged with his righteousness. Lastly, let me talk to you about the recipient of this blessing. Who is the man speaking to us in Psalm 32? Well, Paul describes him. He said, even as David said, It is David who's talking to us in Psalm 32. David. How did David come to receive this greatest of all blessings? Number one, David was chosen of God. It was God who chose David to be the king of Israel. It was God who revealed himself to David. Number two, God called David. He was called. 
He was called to a knowledge of God. He was called to the position of king. He was called to receive this great blessing that he writes about in Psalm 32. God called David from ruling over a few sheep to ruling over the nation of Israel. And he revealed himself to David when he called him. But David did do some things, did he not? Yes, he was convicted of his transgressions. He was convicted of his sin. And he called on God for, for mercy. That's why he can write about it. He can write about it because he himself was a sinner. He himself was a transgressor. He himself was a man who was a sinner and needed his sins covered. He was a man who had committed iniquity. He was a man who had been a man of guile. Well, my goodness, don't you remember when David got so upset, he went to uh, working for an enemy of Israel? And when they discovered who David was, you know what the Bible says David did? Said he let spit come out of his mouth and he leaned against the wall like he's crazy. Read that, it's in the Bible. And this guy said, You mean to tell me this is that God, David? Get rid of him. Yeah, David had been a man of God. He can write about it. But he says in this same psalm, in verse 5, if you're in Psalm 32, verse 5, he said, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and my iniquity I have not hid. And I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. You see that in verse 5? See, David was a sinner. It takes a sinner to no one. And David counsels us, don't be like the mule. Go down to verse 6. For this, everyone that is godly, pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Verse 7. Thou shalt surround me about with songs of deliverance. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which you will go. David said, listen to me, I've been there. I know what I'm talking about. Verse 9, don't be like the horse. Don't be like the mule, stubborn, with no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with a bit and a bridle. If you don't think God knows how to bridle you, just keep hardening your neck. He knows how to bridle you. David said, don't be like that. David said, come to the Lord. David said, partake of the great blessing, the greatest blessing bestowed upon any son or daughter of Adam is the blessing of forgiven sin, transgressions forgiven, sins covered, iniquity not imputed, and guile flushed out. I wrote this down that I read from somewhere, and I'm going, to I'm going to close with this. The important question is, have you come to Christ? It is not to which church you belong, but if you belong to Christ. It is not if we believe in a church, but if we believe in Christ. It is not if we go to church... But have we come to Christ? It is not have we bowed at some altar, but have we bowed at the feet of and confessed to the Lord Jesus as our Lord and King? 
It is not making some profession of religion, but if we have professed Christ to be our Lord and Savior. He said, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. He does not say they will be religious. He does not say they will be good folks. He does not say they will be Bible readers, hymn singers, hand clappers, loud and long prayers they will offer, but that they will come to Christ. We all know that, he says, but how quickly we forget it. Have you come to Christ? That's the only issue, my friend. The blessing you receive when you come to Christ is the greatest blessing of all. May the Lord add his blessings to the teaching of his word. Let's stand together. I have urged you now for 45, 50 minutes to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. We don't ask you to come forward in a worship service, but we put this to you. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you come to him in your heart? Have you really relied upon him? Is your hope all in him? Not in yourself, not in your pedigree, not in anything you've done or ever will do. All in him. That's the issue. If you've never confessed the Lord Jesus Christ, it'd be a good thing to do that. I would confess him. I wouldn't be ashamed of him, and I'd confess him before men. And generally the way you do that is by being baptized in his name. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says that you come forward at the front of a church service to confess Christ. If you can find that in the Bible, I'll do it. It's not in the Bible. The way you confess Christ is you confess him with your mouth. You believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, and I believe that a good way to confess him is to be baptized in his name. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one that gives us the greatest blessing. When we have him, we have the greatest blessing. And Lord, we are thankful for this great blessing of transgressions being put away, sins being covered, iniquity drowned in the sea of God's forgiveness. And all of our guileness, we come clean before thee, cast ourselves on his mercy. Thank you, Lord, for this great blessing. Bless us now as we partake of fellowship together and food. I ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen.